Lips out of Atlanta, Georgia, bringing you some scuzzy garage rock. And I thought we'd kick off today's episode with some NRG. That is the Black Lips. Love that band. If you don't know them, check them out. I'm sure you'll dig them just the way I do. How are you guys doing? You know, that intro, I didn't, uh, I opted not to play a Prince song. I know uh, everyone's been sort of inundated. With Prince over the last week and a half, and it's been certainly sad, and I felt, uh, let's move on. Uh, I, I do want to say a few words about you know Prince, because obviously he's just an immensely, immensely huge figure, but uh, I just thought, let's kick the episode off with something new and fresh, right? That's what we're about, progressing forward, moving forward, but uh, nonetheless, you know, you got to give a shout out to Prince, an artist of the truest nature of the word. I mean, there's a guy that just consistently broke boundaries, and uh, gosh, if you're like me, you were watching, I uh, went back and saw those people posting, you know, on Facebook, a lot of posting different uh, tributes to Prince, and uh, you know, his from his performance at the Super Bowl, and the one that really got me, you know, obviously I'm a guitar player, watching him play at George Harrison's tribute uh, was the one that just ga- gives me goosebumps. I mean, dude, the guy is an absolute monster, you know, he's like almost beyond like there's elements of Hendrix in his soloing there's and uh, elements of almost like Stevie Ray Vaughan early blues punky just all over the fretboard the guy just is an absolute motherfucker man uh, that one just blows me away in the middle of his solo he bends over and if you watch it I've watched it like five times like falls off the stage and he's got his guy there to pick him back up as he's bending over off the stage to push him back on, not missing a beat. And, uh, you know, I just can't say enough uh, about Prince. God, you know, we lost a great one. You know, he, he just absolutely changed so many different facets of rock and roll. And uh, I was listening to someone talk that uh, he borrowed a lot from Little Richard. <laughs> and you know, just looking at him, you kind of get that, I guess. I guess they were saying how Little Richard was an influence on him, and I never thought about it that much. I said, oh, "That's kind of interesting," but I get it. Nonetheless, man, rock and roll has taken some hits this year, folks. Jeez, I don't want to be a downer on this episode, but uh, I mean, come on, Bowie, Merle Haggard. Jeez, two episodes back, we were just kicking off the episode with Merle Haggard, who we just lost. I mean. Just uh, how do you make sense of it? I don't think you do. You just have to accept it and move on and appreciate what they left us behind. I did watch the 1999 video. What a bizarre video. Go back and watch on YouTube uh, Prince Prince's music video that I used to watch as, on MTV as a kid, 1999. What a bizarre video, but amazing. The guy was ahead of his time. The only thing that didn't make sense was a weird like doctor white dude in the scrubs playing keyboards. <laughs> It's like, what are we going to dress Fred in? We should Google that. Let's Google. Someone Google uh, 
who the keyboard player is in that video and if he's still around. Is that was that his shtick? Was he the guy that like when he showed up to your band he always had like hospital scrubs on? I don't know, but it looked awkward to me. Nonetheless, folks, how are you, Nantucket? You've done it again. This is Inside the Whale, episode 33. Thank you for the click. I am your host, Doug Cody. We got something great for you today. I am so thankful. You know, I had to, I just had to pause for a second because I just remembered that some people, this is the first time that they're actually clicking on the podcast. So I have to, I can't assume that everyone's been following along. For those of you who have been, thank you. And for those of you who have given me the click for the first time, welcome. Welcome to the world of podcasting. You know, I guess there's some confusion out there. People are like, how do I get a podcast? How do I do it? Should I go through it? Should I tell people how easy it is? You can just Google Inside the Whale and listen to it right on SoundCloud. I've chosen SoundCloud as the place to host it, and it's worked out great. You can download the app for free. Type in SoundCloud in your little app icon on your iPhone and download it for free and just search Inside the Whale ACK, and you're in business. We're in business together today, April 26th, the day before my birthday. Oh, another year gone by. I am turning 42 years old tomorrow. God, 42 years, and uh, I am going to do it. uh, I'm mellow. How do you celebrate your birthday? Are you one of those people that likes to throw a big bash, have a huge party, celebrate all week? That's kind of a chick thing to do, isn't it, though? But I suppose there's some guys out there. You know what? Screw it. I'm going to make this my birthday weekend. It's starting right now. Hold on. I'm going to get a beer. I'm going to start celebrating. Oh, yeah. There we go. That's the beauty about a podcast. You can just click it, take a pause, go get yourself a cold beverage. Here you go. Mm. There's my pre-birthday beer. I'm having it with you guys. My God, it is a cold, gray, rainy day here on the island. Giving it the name, the Gray Lady. I get it now, folks. I get it. It's gray and cold. But uh, hopefully, this episode is going to warm me up. Episode thirty-three. Uh, we're doing it. This was a very, very special episode. I, I actually call it the Chef Shop. I'd wanted to do this for a while. This has been almost uh, half a year. I was thinking about doing this originally. Was going to do it as a live podcast, and uh, the logistics and the time of year just didn't uh, allow for that. But uh, we, uh, my idea was to get three chefs to sit down and talk about the process, their process, cooking, island culture, food in general. And uh, so I picked uh, three chefs, and uh, what a great conversation. Liam Mackey of Nautilus, Mayumi Hattori from Straight Wharf, and Scott Osif from The Galley sat down with me. And we just talk shop, so uh, I think uh, the episode, we're just going to call it Chef Shop. The idea was to sit down and uh, just kind of talk about their process, things that I was interested in, wanted to know. And uh, Liam was pouring some bourbon. We went down there to Nautilus and popped up the microphones, and we talked shop, and it was cool. And uh, this is why I think podcasting is cool, because you can really bring something and put it out there, and hopefully people will find it as cool as I did. It was a fascinating conversation about cooking, uh, so many different things. You just got to hear the conversation. You know, let's just get into it, right? I've talked enough. Listen, let's get to it. This is the chef. This is the chef. Chef, the beer's already kicking in. This is the chef shop episode. See, it's not easy, folks. No one said podcasting was going to be easy. But then again, 
What would Prince do? How would Prince do this podcast? Oh, either way, guys. Let's just do it. Let's get to episode 33, The Chef Shop. Listen to some chefs drinking bourbon, talking shop with me. What a cool episode, guys. Let's do it. Let's go inside the whale. Guys, now you might whale. Show us your crooked jaw. Show us your wrinkled brow. Rise. He rises. Which is good. A good start. Some real radio broadcasting. Yeah, this is like big time. Cheers, guys. Happy. Yeah. Uh, Cheers. Salud. Cheers. Happy Chef episode. This will be episode number Thanks thirty-three. Wow. Uh, yeah. So this is a big deal. So what are we drinking here? Uh, Nakai. Duty free. I don't know. <laughs> Clinton's especial. Yeah. yeah. Something Clinton mm. procured for us. Oaky. Very oaky. How much whiskey do you guys drink? A lot. Yeah, quite a bit of whiskey. Quite a bit of bourbon. <laughs> it, on, Mostly on a, bourbon. On off days or like that's your shift drink at the end? Yeah, not Mostly so much on off days, drink. I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly, yeah. Mostly shift drink. <laughs> Post-service. <laughs> we were just talking before about the history of the Paul. Like, Naomi was just saying that, uh, or I should, uh, let me, inter- I will introduce everyone. From Straight Wharf, we have here today on the Chef, I'm calling it the Chef episode. All right. Mayumi Hitori, Liam Mackey, and Scott Osif of the Galley, and Liam, of course, has been nice enough to let us do this at Nautilus, so thank you. Ow! No problem. So cheers. We'll do another one, another, and uh, Liam's poured us some bourbon. So this is the first podcast that I've done that we're actually, uh, libations are flowing. It's, uh, it's like a shift drink. That seems shocking. <laughs> first, first podcast with them. Yeah, no, he's not that professional. <laughs> People show up to your house. Sometimes I, it's people that I've never met before. So if I was all boozed up, <laughs> I don't know how they go over. It'd be a little weird. But uh, wait, we'll go back to the Pauls. So that's just a Nantucket thing, right? Yeah, I think it started out yeah. here, right? Who, do you, what's the? Do we know any of the backstory? I mean, the story I've heard a number of different stories, but the story that I heard was there was a waiter named Paul who enjoyed libations and frequently enjoyed maybe a few two libations the night before. And come about eight o'clock, he needed you know a little uh, little Get back on track, little maintenance, uh, straighten you out drink. And so the bartender started pouring him you know a half glass, quarter glass of beer and. The Paul was born to kind of get you through the stressful shift. That's, That's how a, I hear it. Do we have a, is, that, is that what you heard, Scott? Yeah, I think one more element is like it was downtown restaurant, so you could, when it was slow enough, you could just leave your restaurant, walk to a you know thirty seconds, forty-five seconds away to another restaurant, and you know the bartender obviously. And it's like, hey, I need a quick one, and they open a bottle of beer, pour it for five people, you drink it, you throw them five, ten bucks, and then walk back, and then that person does it later on. They go back to the other restaurant, and it just became this kind of thing that crawled around downtown Nantucket. It's the way I understood it. Yeah. Like in addition. That too. But no one else does it. No uh, off, you said, Naomi, you said in Boston you tried to start it? Oh, yeah. You know, the random restaurants that I'd work at over the winter time. Uh, then, you know, you go over there and try to introduce them to the concept. They're like, we don't get it. Why are you, wait, you wait, only drinking understand. Why are you only <laughs> drinking a shot of beer? It doesn't really make that's sense. silly. <laughs> yeah, that's like a, a Nantucketism. So Paul, whoever he was, thank God you're... Good job for Paul. Good yeah, Paul. go yeah. Paul. Thanks, way, Paul. Way to go, Paul. <laughs> the Hawthorne. If you walk into the Hawthorne and ask for a Paul, they'll they'll hook it up. Yeah, don't they do the DTO, the Daiquiri timeout? Is a Boston thing, kind of the take on the Paul, but I don't think it's it's not as widespread as we have it here. 
Whereas like everyone, every industry person on Nantucket knows what a Paul is. You can't yeah. just go to it's part of the culture. Yeah, you can't go up to industry. Boston and say Paul or, or this DT. Do you guys so, remember where you did your first Paul? Like getting here for the first time and you go do one, you're like, what is this? Oh, definitely the boarding house. Queequegs. Yeah, Straight Wharf. Mm. On the line. On yeah. the line? Yeah. Nice. All downtown restaurants. Yeah. yeah. Which was full on like, what the hell is going on here? And they're like, you're going to know what this is by the end of the year. Now, Liam, okay. what year did you get? Let's get to some of the back. What year did you get here? Um, what year? It would be about 14 years ago. So, what's that, 2003? Yeah. 02, 03, something like that. And you, Mayumi? 2007. Scott? I think I'm on, like, 14 as well. Wow. Yeah. So steep. Year and a half hiatus. But, yeah. So, yeah. back and forth. Oh, wow. I was going to get, I thought one of the ways we was interesting to me was talking about like where everyone got their first restaurant experience. So what was the first restaurant you ever worked in? Oh man, first restaurant I ever worked in was in Vermont. It was a place called Taylor's. Um, my mom was a dental hygienist and one of the other hygienists husband was opening up a restaurant. I needed like that, that after school summer job to keep me on the straight and narrow. <laughs> so I was in there washing dishes. I think I was about <laughs> I was probably 15, maybe. Nice. Yeah. And so was I. I like that. Still good friends with the guy to this day. Still a solid chef. Taught me a lot. So you started as a dishwasher? Yeah. Naomi, what was your first restaurant experience? Uh, this restaurant called One Pico that was in a hotel on the beach in Santa Monica, which is pretty awesome. So, um, But I got a later start than everybody, I think. I started when I was 26. Whoa. Yeah. Totally. Well, I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So much talent. Such a short amount of time. <laughs> yeah. Sick. How about you, Scott? When did you start? Uh, when I was maybe 19 or 20. Restaurant called The Hummingbird Room in central Pennsylvania, close to my hometown. Dishwashing. Dishwashing, man. Taking, was, taking a summer leave from uh, mechanic, mechanical engineering school. You know, my first job stuck. was at a, as a dishwasher at a place called What's Your Beef? And the chef was, uh, had just gotten out of jail. And, it was, and I was 14, and I asked him if he could heat up my pasta, and he threw a pie tin at me and put a knife. He said, if you ever want this fucking thing heated up again, I'll kill you. <laughs> oh, wow. Dude, and that's what I was going to talk about, because, like, you guys are all chefs, and it's, it's cool that, uh, you know, chefs have really come from the, the Lynn, his name was Lynn type of chefs, the people that are, you know, they use this, and I'm not going to use the word rock star, even though I'm doing it, but they've done that now. You know, like chefs have really come to the forefront. Why do you guys think that is? Food Network. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. TV. TV. And T now social media. Yeah. The Actors uh, are boring. gross misrepresentation of what life as a chef really actually is. <laughs> Plus, like, I think so that's the point, though. There is a gross misrepresentation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And in all seriousness, too, I think that the further away people have gotten from actually cooking in their own homes, it's become like this weird glamorized thing that what we do, even though, I don't know, it's yeah. kind of strange that way. I mean, we'll take it, but it's not really like that. <laughs> it's not. No, absolutely no. not. They see a small percentage of it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they might. These days, they might not see any of the reality of it, I, I feel like. You know, the reality of it is, is. They don't tell is, you about cleaning out grease yeah, traps. Yeah. Cleaning and organizing and, yeah. and, you know, staying on top of purveyors and staying on top of kids that you're trying to train and bring along. And, you know, a lot of it's rewarding, but th they certainly don't show the, 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 the bad stuff on TV, you know? Yeah, it's always just like really 
well-crafted interview with the chef. Yeah, yeah. You know, and his... Uh, that results in a beautifully procured meal that, you know, you know, doesn't always happen. Yeah. It's the goal, but... And you guys all have, each one of you individually has different styles, right? How would you describe your style, Liam? Um... Well, here, I mean, certainly Asian-influenced. You know, we do small plates. Um, you know, I mean, I enjoy cooking so many different types of food and get into so many different uh, food cultures, and I'm lucky enough to be able to represent a good number of those here if I wanted to. So I don't know. The style the style's hard, but... But I, well, there was an evolution to that, I'm sure, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like um, when you start out, you know, you're... you're sort of all over the boards, you, you get to find yourself as a chef later on, and I feel like the good ones always find their way back to, like, the, the simplification of a dish and the reliance on, like, really quality ingredients. So it's not so much a style of more of a, a, a mantra that, like, you know, as long as you're going to get a good piece of fish in and good accompaniments to go with that, then you really, and now that we have years under our belt, so we have the technical skill, couple that with quality ingredients, I think nine times out of ten, something great is going to hit the plate. And, yeah. and one time out of a hundred, something totally extraordinary is going to hit the plate. How often do you guys feel that happens when you cook? <laughs> is you like, I never even thought of that having moments like that. Twice where you're like, ever, maybe. Well, I crushed it. I mean, one of the old French guys. I think he said, uh, you know, he'd been it for forty years. I can't remember who it was, but I think he said you'll be lucky to have ten original ideas in your entire fifty-year career. You know, that that are really, you know, awesome. Scott, give me your best. Idea. My best idea. Um, I don't know what we're talking about. Like, and I said, yeah. put you on the spot. Maybe you should have a sip of bourbon for that. I don't know. That's yeah, a lot. I think, we need more, right. I think we need more bourbon. You're for that. right. That, that's a lot to ask. That's like saying, what's your favorite song? Or S you saying know. yes to this podcast. Definitely my best idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you said that like you mean it. I, I certainly do. Listen, we're drinking bourbon. Amazing bourbon. Food wise, I don't, I don't know. That's that's funny. Uh, I don't know how to answer that question. Like, I think we we try to just be on top of it every day and come up with something new for the moment. I mean, can't reinvent the wheel all the time, I, I don't think. So it's culinarily, that's, that's an odd question. I have no idea how to answer that. Well, we can go back. We, we'll backtrack a little bit and talk about, I, I'm interested in like when you first started out too, as a, and when you decide that moment, when you decided, oh, this is what I'm going to do, be a chef. How did you decide, Scott? I never decided that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> It wasn't something that you were like, you know, I think I'm going to start doing it. Just, was it a natural progression or was yeah, it just? No, I didn't, I didn't ever decide to be a chef. It, was, it just kind of happened, honestly. It, it was just a, a, you know, life just hands you certain things and you can say yes or no and accept it and put it in your pocket and walk away. Or so if there's it, another job beach. you could, what, what other job do you think you'd do if it wasn't being a chef? A uh, photographer? Mm, that's what I'd want to be. Otherwise, yeah, that's yeah. interesting, Naomi. Another job? Yeah, if there's something else. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I have that. I don't have a backup plan because I was a, a change of career person. So I think I already oh. did the thing. What was that's the change of career? I was in retail. I worked for Abercrombie and Fitch. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I did. I was a district manager for them, and I was about to get into visual merchandising because that's what I really oh. liked. But I was miserable. And so, and I'd always cooked. That was always my go-to, my stress escape, you know. Um. Were you guys always cooking at home? Were you, like, even growing up? Was it, like, mm -hmm. even, like, at 15 years old, you were, like, 
Yeah, looking back on it, I, I definitely was. I didn't really realize it at the time, though, but, <clears throat> you know. Yes, yeah, I, I guess I, I yeah. was when I look back on it. I was the guy that, that cooked at the, you know, at the party or whatever. Yeah, was I'd get it? home from college, my mom would be like, so what are you making for dinner? That would be an automatic thing. So you, your parents, uh, your parents didn't cook? Or they did? My parents cooked. My parents, yeah. My, that was my something mom, I wanted yeah, to talk about because I thought that was really interesting because people that have like, grew up in houses where mom and dad were like really good cooks, is there a relation to, you know, whether the kids, are they good cooks? You know, were your parents good cooks? My grandmother was a spectacular cook and she lived with us. So I learned from her first. My mother was much more adventurous and definitely a little bit more, um, we'll call her a fusion cook. She had the Spanish background. She married a Japanese guy. She definitely tried to incorporate a lot of that culture into it. Whoa. So it was a very mixed, you know, like very mixed up meals, which were interesting. Um, but yeah, no, we always. Can I ask something real quick? I, I, I'm not a chef, but I think the word fusion like annoys me. It's really annoying. <laughs> and I'm not even a chef. When I hear fusion, I'm like, oh, God. Yeah, because everything's right? a, everything is, yeah. Like at this point, everything's confusion. That's, that's <laughs> you know? the point. That yeah. is, yeah. We went, I feel like we went through a phase where fusion was like a super dirty word, and, and it's still, it still kind of is, but when you look at it nowadays, it's like, it's all fusion. I mean, even, you know, you go to, even, even in the, the um, sort of uh, immigrant neighborhoods, the Koreatowns, the Chinatowns, the, you know, wherever you find pockets of people from another place, like, that have been in America now for a number of decades, like all their food is now very different from what their food used to be back home. Sure, uh -huh. you're gonna find the traditional things, but I mean, people, you know, good cooks, not just chefs take, they use the resources they have at hand and they seek out the best resources that they have on hand and then whatever comes to plate after that is whatever it is. So, I mean, when you had to sub out one thing, when you had to sub out one type of fish that was available in Spain, but you know, a different type of fish is available in California or something, then I mean, fusion is born. Plus, you look at just, you know, traditional cooking anyway. I mean, you go to Vietnam. Right. A lot of it's heavily influenced by the French. I mean, a banh mi is a, a French sandwich, even True. the pate mm -hmm. that's in it, you know. Um, you go to Peru, and you have their typical cooking. Well, it's heavily influenced by Chinese culture. It's also, you know, there's there's a lot of different, over you know, overlying things. Those are fusions, I guess, if you right. want to call it that, but... You know. I think it was intriguing. The, the term fusion was intriguing at some point, right? Yeah, I yeah. guess that's what it was. Until it became bastardized, if you will. You it was know. a way to label it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then it just became boring. Yeah. So, Which is kind of like the trends. The, there's just like every industry has trends. You know, I was going to ask you guys, what, what are some of the trends that you guys are seeing right now in the cooking world? Or, or even do you even pay attention to the, the outer cooking world off of Nantucket? I think it's important to pay attention to kind of what's hot, what's on deck to a certain extent. I mean, I like live fire right now. Like, I think that's pretty awesome. A lot of restaurants just doing like the grill over an open fire. And I think that's a pretty cool trend. I don't know. That's what's going on. I, yeah, I didn't yeah, even know that. Yeah, wood where you're, where you're lighting a big fire and, you know, as opposed to just turning on a gas grill with bro briquettes underneath and what have you. And gotcha, you know, having that flavor of the wood. Rotisserie yeah. in, in the restaurant, uh, exposed fire, you know, from the dining room, you can see the, the people, uh, the cooks working the fire, and it, it's it's pretty interesting. That was a shift too. No that one's doing that here, I don't think. No one's doing that. Well, yeah. no, no Street Wharf does. Street Wharf. Sure, but, yeah. But yeah, in, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have a we have an old, a hundred year old Montague grill 
that we feed wood and coal into. And yeah, sure. sorry, cool. I, meant, I was thinking about the exposure, like open kitchen thing. But yeah, no, we have no open kitchen, so you right. wouldn't know it. But yeah, right. it's, yeah. it's we're pretty lucky that way. I was going to ask you guys about uh, menu design because I relate things <laughs> musically, and I'm thinking. Uh, thinking, I was thinking about this podcast. I was like, oh, what you know, like uh, the different things that we could talk about. And I was musically. Sometimes you wake up with an idea in your head. Is is chefing the same thing? Like, do you wake up and you're like, oh man, a daikon radish would be really good with that sauce. Is it that kind of thing, or is it just more of a tangible thing when you're cooking? You just do it on the fly. What's your process like? I tend to obsess over it like endlessly for a while. You know, I, I'll lose sleep for nights on end and just, like, it'll be in my dreams and everything. And then, the, I don't know, I'll have an aha moment kind of thing. Um, but then once you start playing with the ingredients, then it it morphs from there. Um, I don't know. I I mean, I would agree with that. I, I would agree with your analogy as well. I mean, so, sometimes I've got a dish in my head and on the plate that's 80% of the way, and I do have an aha moment, usually after bourbon and a lot of <laughs> not sleeping at the three in the morning. So I'm you'll like, obsess about it. I'm like, yeah. boom, I know exactly you Give me an example of your aha moment. Give me a dish that you're like, oh, you know what that's missing? Oh, man. Cayenne on that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, just what, what is it? On the spot. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> is that a lot to throw at you? I know you? I just had one like a little while ago that I feel like. I just want to get a sense of like up. how it is, you know, how it works for you guys. Because I can relate it to music. I feel like you're probably on the right path path with the music although I don't write or play music but I feel like it's just it's like a big it's a pro it's like you go out there you go out in the world you eat at Straight Wharf you eat at Galley you know you eat other places off season you know you you gather all this information that's like stored in your head and then it's time to like kind of like do some menu changes and like you access all that stuff I mean I was just away for the winter and everyone was like what's up what do you got what's the inspiration like immediately when I got back and I was like well it hasn't actually come into focus I ate a lot of things that I liked I tried a few things, you know, not that I'm just going to take that dish, but man, I can use that sauce for something. I can do this for something. And it just takes a little while to digest and come into focus. And kind of speaking almost to what you just said a minute ago, possibly would be like, once I get my hands on what's available and the ingredients that I got to work with now, then a lot of that stuff comes into focus. And then, you know, I might develop something 75% of the way, and then it's going to take some obsessing to yeah. come up with the rest. And I think the thing that we don't talk about often enough too, is the fact that, you know, the actual practicality of the cooking process and getting it onto a plate and having it be consistent to the guest is also a huge part of it. You know, we can dream up these like ideal dishes, but fact of the matter is we're not doing them just one at a time. We have these busy dining rooms. We have sometimes extremely green cooks that need some coaching. Um, you know, so you kind of one of the ways that it was explained to me is that how you take an idea and then you figure out the way that it's going to get least, can I say? Messed, you can swear on this okay. podcast, it's all right. <laughs> That's the, the beauty way, of it. But know? the way that it can get least fucked up, you know? Yeah, 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 I, you yeah, know, yeah. you want it yeah. to be, you want it to represent exactly what you want, but there are con there are concessions to that. Of you course. Know? There are things that you have to modify to that. You know, you have to play to the line, you have to play to availability, LCD. you have to, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and you have to, you know, you can't give one station something that they're going to get buried on. You have to kind of divvy up the love a little bit. You know, I don't know. There's, so, there's so, a lot for of stuff. You, so you might create a dish and be like, you know what? The Lion Kid's never going to be able to produce this in right. a fast time. So you're like, fuck, I yeah. can't do or it. Or it just makes you go to the plate again and you're like, okay, so these ideas, these flavors, and then how do I 
reconfigure it so that I can still get that message across, but maybe it's different. And sometimes the limitations are actually, I find that the limitations are very helpful in terms of venue planning. Wow. So you actually made me think of something. Were you going to say something, Scott? No, I, I think I agree with Miami. I mean, that's that can be very inspirational. Like sometimes, uh, I mean, different wording, but sometimes you find very positive results from making a mistake or from, you know, giving it to your, as you mentioned, like a green cook. And you you can understand what the limitations are from that point. So you, it, as, as a chef, I think it makes you better. It allows you to correct the problem before it actually happens in front of the guest. You, know? hmm. you guys just both said something that's super important. You said the word green, green cook, which plays into being a chef on Nantucket because Nantucket is so much different than on the mainland. And I think we should talk about that so people can have a sense of some of the things you guys are up against, seasonal restaurants, you know? It's like, you guys, right? Yeah. You, you yeah. have to, like, prepare a menu with these new people in mind that, like, you go to eat at a restaurant off mainland New York somewhere, those guys have been working there, cooking that, you know, have time to do it. Yeah, they cycle out more on the mainland. So, you know, you might lose a guy and gain a guy, lose two guys, gain two guys. I mean, out here, I think probably for all of us, if, 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 if not anything else, which we have a lot of things in common, but if not anything else, we've all restaffed kitchens numerous times. I mean, my last job, it was like, I felt like, you know, we would open for Daffy, then we'd close for two weeks, and then we'd open reopen again. By the time I was done 10 years there, I was like, I opened this restaurant 20 times. <laughs> uh-huh. Which when I opened this restaurant, because of like health inspections and, and food not showing up when it was supposed to, like we did it in three days. And it, people, you know, I was shocked that we were able to do it, but I had an awesome team to do it. And then at the end of it, I was like, well, I'm not really that shocked because I've done it so many times, which is something Nantucket cooks and these chefs at this table all have something that most mainland cooks and chefs don't have. And it's that ability to go basically from zero to like open. Zero to hundred in a day. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, and we also have the benefit of the fact that you know we really pommel cook. I mean, like we really form cooks. You know, other places have, you know, slow weeknights. Then they have the busy Friday, Saturday night, maybe busy Thursday through Friday. You know, Saturday night, something along those lines. We have Saturday night business. What seven Fourth of week. July? Yeah, seven yeah. days a week from Fourth of July through Labor Day at least. Yeah, uh, eight seventy to hundred days. Yeah. Right. It's insane. And so in that, I mean, we, we really create some really fantastic cooks. You know, I've gotten some people that needed a lot of coaching, a lot of shaping. And by the end of it, they're amazing. Which is amazing to me because you look at, like, uh, Memorial Day weekend. Or is it late? Which, uh, Memorial Day is the first one, right? Yeah, Memorial yeah. Day. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Fugawi. It's, 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 <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the bourbon. So, oh, Fugawi weekend. Yeah. So you're at the peak of that. If you have a guy that's not working out or you have, or you have someone, sorry, you have someone that's working out for the first month and then all of a sudden – he just drops the ball for whatever reason, and then you're stuck. You have to. What do you do? You're not mainly. You know, you have a limited pool of people, right? So what do you guys do? That's I, one. I say train, that's one train, of the train, biggest yeah. challenges. Yeah. Is if you lose that guy that you invested in, and you are hitting the peak season, whoo boy, that's not that's not a fun like thing. Everyone has someone who's the man. That's my man right there. Right. Floyd, Floyd is the man. He's yeah. my save guy. Like if I have a problem, he's the man. Yeah. But like, you know, in Nantucket, it's a little different, right? Yeah, I mean, if anything, I think it's taught me quite a bit of patience as a chef. Um, you don't have the flexibility of just replacing someone on the drop of a hat. You know, there's the housing situation. It's also where we are. 
you've also invested X amount of time to get someone to a certain spot. So you have no choice but to make sure that you try to extract as much out of that person. And it makes you a better, I think it makes you a better chef. It makes you a better manager. It makes you a kinder person, I think, a, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, really, when it comes to- I'm still working that? on that. <laughs> yeah, well, let's stop. We should <laughs> No, but really, just, I think that- Are you, it, Who's the asshole was, chef here? <laughs> I don't know. Whoa. <laughs> Scott's like, whoa. I'm sure it exists in all of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we kind of have to be if you're leading the, the ship, right, right? That's just. Oh, you have to be at some point. You have to have the ability point. to. Be, you don't want to be. I, it takes a lot, I think, to, to. At least for me, I've grown to the point where uh, I agree 100%. It makes you ideally a nicer person, but, you know, you have those select individuals who really, really, really pull that asshole out of you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know they, they make you <laughs> make right. it intense. Yeah, I'm sure. And it feels really good because you've been you've been holding it for a while. <laughs> you know, I've been so three patient. days or three weeks. And, and well, that's that's kind of what I was getting at. Like the amount of pressure I think that the the, the chef, a Nantucket chef, everyone out, every chef out here is under is is intense. You know, and so I think it'd be interesting to like. It's a big commitment, like going through the hiring process before the season start, starts to, you know, get someone to come to this island to find them housing to hope that they're able to do a job based on paperwork and calling calling references, which sometimes those references are just trying to get rid of people. Oh, so, boy. You know, yeah. you know, it doesn't, just because <laughs> says someone, a person over the phone who you've never met, you've never looked eye to eye, says nice words about another person, doesn't mean that that person is talented or a good person in general. Yeah, you definitely Ideally, don't get the benefit are. of the stage. Yeah. yeah. Are you guys like, how do you find people? Word of mouth, for sure. I mean, I think I I know it goes for Miami and both Scott that it's like people they've worked with, they've 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 touched in the past. You know, they you can kind of like you know. I mean, this year personally, I've got an intern that was at the last restaurant I was at, and we worked together, and he was very green at the time, and now he's gone out and done three years, and he you know I those are the first people I call when I have a hole in my staff is people on that I know before I put an ad up it's like hey what's going on you want to do another summer on Nantucket maybe even a summer and a winter whatever it happens to be so you kind of go through that Rolodex of 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 the skilled guys that were that, that are kind of your standbys you know that you almost can always rely on that they'll come out and bust it out for a season while they're in between things or whatever I mean I know both of you guys have had like full-on chefs helping you out because it was you know they were in between things you know what i mean so that's that's awesome i mean nantucket that that is one thing nantucket has for it. it's like once people come out here and they experience it if they get it in their blood you know you can you can get your hooks back into them pretty easy and drag them back to the island for a season too how know? do you get it in their blood your blood though right i mean you're six years out here or something yeah right? yeah yeah that, mine was different mine was music and <clears throat> family related yeah but uh you know it definitely does it's there's a reason that i ended up coming back you know but it's it does there's something about the island that doesn't the, there's an awesome community here i will say yeah. that mm -hmm. and i think in the off season you really see it yeah so and we many. got like micro communities within the community i mean the the micro chef community of people that are shooting the shit after service i mean that's you know i mean I'm, i just feel fortunate to be part of it you know that there's some super talented and just like super cool people that are in the industry that do the exact same thing that I do. You know, we, we both work with food and I'm like, this is so cool that like we're both. Yeah, you know. and the reason I had you guys here because I feel like, you know, I came from New York and I feel like the food culture on Nantucket is awesome. Hands down, there's restaurants doing 
awesome, amazing things. Absolutely. I had no complaints. You know, I, I was just like, wow, man, there's really like, I feel like Nantucket could be a place for foodies to come on in the winter and come check out some place. You know, there's yeah. so much amazing food out here. I mean, you'll never find a smaller town with a more densely populated group of awesome, talented chefs and people in general, in my, in my opinion, and, and, and restaurants too. I mean, you know, I can get through the winters out here because I'm from Vermont. I'm from a small, small town. It's nothing new to me. Like the winter out here feels like. You grew up in Vermont? Yeah, it feels like back home. I mean, my town back home had What's 430 your people. Tinmouth, Vermont. Where is that? I don't even know where that is. Nobody does. <laughs> where, where? Uh, it's in between a town called Rutland and a town called Manchester, and you take a left and you go into the mountains. Depending on if how I many kids in your high school, like ten. Well, we went to a union school, so a bunch of rural towns would then send their kids to one school. So, so you grew up on a farm. Yeah, I did grow up on a farm. Yeah, but in my elementary school, I graduated with twelve people from okay. sixth grade. Wow. Damn. Maybe yeah. how about you? Where'd you grow up? In Southern California, Orange County. <laughs> yeah. A couple more than six in your class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, polar opposite, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, my graduating high school class was nearly 700 kids. My high school was 2,200. Yeah, it was huge. But. Wow. Yeah. Scott? 104 graduating class. Small farming town in central Pennsylvania. What's the town? Milheim. Milheim. <laughs> well, you know what we call it? Pensatucky. Pensatucky, yeah. Pensatucky, man. How's food culture in um, your town? Uh, people like a lot of food on a plate for very little dollars. Hosses, dude. You ever been to Hosses? Uh, we know Hosses. Ha dude, Hosses. Hosses is some PA yeah, shit. That's right some PA there. shit. Totally. Hosses is just like this huge. Buffet. Buffet. Yeah. <laughs> and if yeah. you're overweight and you like to eat, Hosses is your... It's called Hosses. It just sounds... <laughs> wow, yeah. It's like, What's up, Hosses? And the, I think the logo of the place has... Like, like a, a steer or something? Yeah, yeah, with a guy with a meat cleaver. <laughs> Hosses. <laughs> it just sounds like... I haven't eaten at a Hosses in a long time. Man, What's you, the dish? What do you what do you get at Hosses? It's, oh. it's kind of a steakhouse. Uh -huh. But a redneck steakhouse. Well, all right. Yeah, I would I would use uh -oh. a different term. <laughs> I, I would say blue collar <laughs> steakhouse. Okay, all right. You know, not saying rednecks don't go there because of course they do, but uh, but it's more than it's broader than redneck. It's it's a blue collar place. You know, it's affordable. Yeah, know? yeah, and, and it's just and the, the it, thing is the it portions. needs to exist there. You know, it's it's you need nothing to have... wrong with it for the place. I, I'm not going to go eat there. You, you guys, if you're in my hometown, you're not going to go to Hosses. We'll find Scott, another place for you. Us to I'm not taking the hosses. I'm sorry. Well, I got sorry, news hosses. for you. There's a hosses opening out by the airport. <laughs> There's gonna be. A, <laughs> we're gonna have a hosses. The old AK spot. Yeah. So anyway, I had a list of uh, things. So I know what I was gonna say. What's your worst dish? Your your least favorite. When you go to a place, what's your you're like? Oh god, your least favorite dish, anywhere. To see on a menu. Yeah. I mean, all of them can be good, right? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, but I'm. It kind of. I don't know. I always think like, oh, man, yeah, doing, that's going to play. Worst dish. Wow. Or, what's or just what's your least favorite? Why don't we start with that? All right. Exactly. I love. I love I thank you for asking. <laughs> I would love to tell you. Mine. And now I have to think because there's two. I don't like shrimp scampi. I just feel like it's lazy. It's quick. You know, <laughs> I feel like they're trying to get away with something. <laughs> and I don't like. Oh, actually, they're both cool. Well, shrimp scampi isn't, but I don't like uh, pasta primavera. 
Yeah. See, I mean, what you're saying, like, those are, speaks I, to the fact that, like, those dishes got so played out in, like, the yeah. continental 90s that everybody started to do them so poorly. But, was, I mean, one that of the benefits... Fusion. That was the birth of fusion. <laughs> really? <laughs> I think one of the... Trip American. was the birth of fusion. <laughs> one of the benefits, I think, for us being in the industry is you kind of get to know, like the hot spot or you you kind of like can go to a restaurant that you know one of your buddies is at or maybe a chef you've heard of you know and if you saw shrimp scampi at one of the restaurants of like maybe a, a, a mutually respected chef you'd be like i'm curious as to what that shrimp scampi is all about and it's probably pretty awesome i mean it's just like shrimp scampi and proserpine river are two great examples of how like america bastardized food in in the u.s i mean there's still great dishes in italy i mean you get like some Beautiful shrimp with some garlic, simple as that. Yep. Some homemade pasta. That's gonna be a good Liam, have dish. you been to Hosses and had their shrimp <laughs> scampi? <laughs> no, but I know Hosses shrimp scampi is amazing. I agree with sick, you 100 because I so grew good. up. <laughs> my first line cooking job was cooking pasta primavera and shrimp scampi, and we had all the pasta like dry pasta pre-cooked you know in our six pans and it was just like wine and like butter and like just you know so that's nothing, interesting. Nothing it, was quality. Is that sort of an aged dish or I don't know? Or it's just that's I mean, yeah. But it can is, be amazing. Is there a restaurant? And I bet you, you'll probably Actually, see a resurgence of it, though, because all the stuff that was, I don't know. Yeah. Everything that's kind of played out History is repeats coming itself. back. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. It'll come back and <laughs> watch it'll be the best three places ever. have shrimp yeah. scampi. This you have thrown down the gauntlet, I've thrown down the gauntlet. <laughs> yeah. like, July menus. Oh, man, I'm not going I mean, I know a chef, we all know a chef on island that kind of specializes in Italian food. They cook me the best pasta that was fresh made pasta with awesomely well done vegetables that were in season that like technically would be called a primavera, primavera but yeah. it was like mm -hmm. the best i mean it's still one of my favorite ones that this particular guy does i mean who is it let's name him we can name names i mean dresel i yeah. mean he's chef de cuisine at uh at ventuno, uh, ventuno. Yeah. you won't see I, I don't know if he has it on the menu but when we worked together at the pearl I mean, it was, you know, it was a springtime, it was asparagus, it was ramps, it was, it was all vegetables, it was a ha homemade pasta, and you could basically call that a primavera, and it was fucking awesome. He's the chef de cuisine, which, Naomi, you're the chef. The cuisine also. So yeah. I didn't understand this until I watched this thing the other day, the way, where that dynamic, the kitchen dynamic came the from. The brigade. The brigade. Yeah. So I think that was super interesting to talk about. I just found out where the, 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 the rank and order goes for the kitchen. So you, maybe you, we, sh we should talk about that because I thought it was super interesting. Yeah. Whoever wants to take it. I'm throwing that. That's a lob over the net right there. You guys take it. I only have two people besides me. <laughs> Three. Three people besides me. But in a big kitchen. You I have a big kitchen. I'm just, but I don't, uh, I don't know all the terms of, of that came from the brigade French style kitchens. I don't, I don't necessarily uh, operate. I mean, obviously, sous chefs are people who assist the chef and they delegate to other people, to the cooks. Um, that's kind of the way my kitchen operates. Sue being the, the, the second chef. Yeah. yeah. And chef de cuisine is what? Technically runs the kitchen. So if for Which instance- Which is your title, Naomi. Right. So if for instance, so Gabriel and Amanda are technically the chef owners of Straight Wharf but they have given me the chef de cuisine position over at Straight Wharf, so I run all things kitchen. It's not necessarily true because I do more than that, but technically that's what it is. Whereas an executive chef, if, if we were just one restaurant, if they were in the kitchen all the time, then maybe they would do more of the um, 
paperwork, uh, you know, the, the executive stuff. The executive stuff. The more, the not fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the food food part's fun. Yeah, the food part's fun. Paperwork sucks. Um, but you can't yeah. all sum it up in a label too, because it's yeah, different. Yeah, it's hard. I and mean, every every kitchen is different. Too. I mean, from and, and even chef to cuisine, her position chef to would be to considered to different if if there weren't chef owners, if they were restaurateurs, and they just had. They were people like, for instance, you, you're not a chef. If, if it was your restaurant and she was your chef, then she would be considered the executive chef or the or all of these whatever terms yeah. you want to put on them. Right. Uh, so the fact that Gabriel and Amanda are chefs, uh, that's that's the reason that the term chef, I'm not yeah. speaking out, right? Yeah. You know, chef cuisine is because there's there's someone who owns the restaurant that is also a chef, pretty much. Yeah, I would but think that, that she, it's her food. It's, she's relationship has to be super know, tight, right? That the relationship between the people that do you design the menu with them? Uh, oh, so over the years they've given me so much more free reign, which is great. So ninety-five percent of the menu is mine. Really, the only things, the only thing not mine is the clam bake. That's Scott, it. how about you at the galley? What's your what's your my, role there? My position is executive chef, and so I don't have I don't have a chef that's uh, governing my work so i guess that's why it's that position you know uh if there if david who's my boss would was a chef then i suppose i'd be chef's cuisine so it's it's a bit semantical i think yeah, yeah. okay it's not it's kind of owns this place and he's the yeah. boss and, and then it's yeah. all based on a french system where we're like chef in in france and yeah, you have like commis and chef right. parties and, and yeah, that's chef, what I was. And yeah. chef in france also extends to other industries like chef in france chef just means, means, boss. means like <laughs> chief for us, mm. like the chef of the police station, the chef of the, you know, I mean, it's it's an interchangeable. I am the thing. chef of Lance Mountain. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Some might argue that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting though. Like the so chef, yeah, yeah. turn it off. Floyd. The buck basically stops with you, but as with every buck out there, usually also can stop with someone higher. You know. So Scott, being the head person, do you is it up to you? To, like. We're going into the season now. Do you have an idea of the menu? Are you bringing new stuff? Like, how do you, it's up to you to design the, sh the menu, right? Yeah, of course. Yep. Do you have a lot of ideas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, loads. Yeah, of course. Let's hear uh, some of them, Scott. <laughs> I, I, can't, uh, I, can't, I can't divulge that information. Uh, it's the private. ideas are, um, they're all over the place. I mean, you know, we, we change our menus all the time. We, we have staples. I, I think most of us have staples. Uh, you know, uh, a poke dish here at Nautilus. There's no reason to change it. Liam, Liam loves the dish and it would be, he'd be silly to take it off from what I understand. We were talking about it earlier. Yeah. Uh, the clam bake at Straight Wharf is a staple. I have this fucking crab cake that people talk about all the time. Like I can't, you know, I can't eat a crab cake, but, but I can't not serve it. Yeah. You know, I so, mean, sometimes we're stuck with our so own you, creations too, yeah. whether we like it or not. I mean, you put well, something on there and you're, you're hundred percent happy with it. You, you have to keep you the know. guests happy. I mean, you want, yeah. you want the people coming through the door. If, if there's a certain dish that they want, yeah. I mean, of course you need, you need to bounce things around all the time, but, um, yeah. for but you, I think changes can happen pretty easily. And you have, you have a menu and how many items, I mean, if you change 60% each menu change, that's, that's a fair bit, but then you still have, you know, five, six, seven dishes that are, that are available to people who recognize them. I never so even thought of that, taking something alienating off. anybody. If you right. took something off the menu, you'd have a guest come up to you and be like, oh, you took the, you know. Right. And like for you as you a took musician. took that off the menu. It's crazy. Like, yeah. You can think of it as like a concert and a bunch of people paid a ticket for a concert and they're going to want to hear the hit. 
Yeah. You can sneak in some new you, stuff you all play the time, pants. and maybe the new stuff becomes. <laughs> it maybe, is though. They do. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the new stuff becomes the hit. But I mean, it's like I I've noticed, you know, because I'm into music, you know, that like that's something you hear uh, from bands like I've been playing, you know, whatever song for ten years, you know, pretty tired of it, and then other musicians are like, well, you know, people played, you know, I think there was like a little Retta Lynn um, interview the other day, and they were like coal miner's daughter and she'll play don't, it don't you ever get sick of playing that she's like i don't get sick of playing that that's what people that's one of the songs people come here and expect me to play so why would i let down i'm me i'm one person why, why am i going to let down an auditorium all these people that are people coming for it right paid you know so it's like for us to take dishes off as much as you want to sometimes even because maybe some of your even chef buddies are like well that's kind of played out bro you're like yeah but like so that's interesting <laughs> so do you feel that you actually feel that pressure like scott you have like oh man he's coming here he's gonna see that on the menu do you get have that sort of like insecurity no no it's no. not it's we not are. an insecurity it, it's it's we realistic all, we know. it's rational right. there's a reason that you know you you become good at a job or, or that people ask you to continue to do what you do and uh, it's because ideally you're good for the business, and and that's what we're. Yeah. If if all of a sudden we're coming out with all these crazy things that, uh, you know, the menu <laughs> board outside, people are like looking and they're like, what's up with these <laughs> baby eels, which are it. delicious. We should have one week where every chef's allowed to do that. We sneak it to each other. I mean, I love going to lunch at the galley. You know, I get a couple things that I always get, and like the last time I think one of the memorable lunches I had last year, Scott sent out some lamb ribs. Best. Nakcham, best Nakcham, best example of a Nakcham I think I've ever had. And I mean, well, I mean, tell me what a Nakcham is first. It's like a Vietnamese like <laughs> dipping sauce. Yeah. Not with, like, near lime you know. and fish sauce and garlic. <laughs> and I mean, those lamb ribs are amazing. I don't even know if they were on the regular menu, but he he got them out to me, and I was like, this is awesome. I mean, I already had an awesome lunch, but we we we, we definitely we get excited for when each other. yeah we definitely get excited when another chef comes in. We're like. Oh yes, we get to—I don't know—we get to play a little bit back more. Yeah, stuff. yeah. yeah all there's always some back pocket stuff. That that dream that you had the night before at 3 a.m. that woke you up and you're like, "What? Whoa! I gotta try this." You, you can't you can't necessarily perform that for the whole evening of service. But when your chef buddy comes in, it's oh, like, yeah, yeah, "Hey, can. check this out," uh, you know. <laughs> and we we do that. I think it's and it's not just chef friends; it's the industry. The, one thing beautiful about this island is that uh, front of the house, back of the house. Whether you're you know a first time, if you're a first time server front of the house server here and you're working at nautilus and there's a bunch of restaurant people in here um you get recognized and you go out to the chicken box and you get a little buzzed and you know you're talking shop with people and blah 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 and you go on for lunch somewhere and they're like hey this person you know they're new here the kitchen sends them something you know nice it's just the way it is it's a very open community here within within the within the business and you know we like musicians too they come in to our restaurants. You were making me think of like what would like when other, I, I think Run to the Hills Iron Maiden is like my like pull out. Because there's always one guy in the <laughs> crowd <laughs> that's in the back that's like, dude, these guys are really playing Run to the exactly. Iron Maiden right now. Like, and we do it and we, I feel like we've kind of put our own stamp, but it's important to like do that though. Yeah. You kind of want to like, it's I, a wink. <laughs> it's a wink and a nod. Totally, yeah. man. I'm yeah. always trying. I always, I'm constantly listening to new music. I'm constantly being influenced. I, I chase rabbit holes down all the time. I, I just, Hooray for the Riff Raff. Have you heard that band? This girl's, her voice is insane. I mean, she's, they've been around for a while, but I just got hip to them. So I'm like, dude, they're the shit. So I, I'm, I like the new stuff too. I'm constantly inspired by new music and yeah, learning new stuff, trying to try new things, which applies to you know how often you guys get to do that. You know, it's 
little different in the chef world, I guess. I can, we can try out a song and be like, well, that sucked. Have you ever done a dish that really sucked? All the time. Oh, yeah, all the time. What's, <laughs> what's the worst dish you've ever made? <laughs> I don't know, man. It's... You just, or what, you just squash those. I want to <laughs> hear one that you've been like, that, I can't believe that went out. I mean, I, don't, I couldn't even... <laughs> Not went out. I don't think yeah, we ever that. Come on. I want to hear one that was like, oh, man, that went out. Oh, jeez. No, I mean, I don't think that you you've got it vetted before it like goes out. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, like, you're lucky. I don't. I just go for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> improv. Well, I There's guess I mean, because you got an audience, too. So it's like maybe you're going to throw that idea out there and you're going to gauge the reaction immediately and be like, well, I don't really know about this. But, oh, they seem like into it. You know, most of the time you're behind closed doors. So it's like you can't just like let the plus people like paid and you can't like vet like a half baked idea on the general public. You, like, you got a responsibility to like what goes on the plate and what people are going to pay for is going to be pretty good. Which oh, hey, man, maybe you can vet it on your, bad, on your friends. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about this? And we're like, that's that's yeah, pretty sucks. bad, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, I kind of. Do you have? Do you guys have someone that you'll talk to and be like, try this one, and you'll be like, trust their opinion immediately? Yeah, yeah I mean, I've vetted some stuff with my fiance, and you know, certainly friends too. Be like, I don't know, I'm kind of thinking about doing something with this, and you know. You know, you, you know when you got a good thing and you know when you got a bad thing. Usually you know when you got a bad thing before you ever even taste it on How anybody, much of that I is think. experience, though? Because isn't it weird? And, you know, in music world, sometimes someone will come out and they'll be like 18 and they're just present and they, they're writing from a standpoint that no one can even wrap their head around. And the chef world, I'm sure, is like that, too, right? There's chefs that just come out and they're young and they don't even have the experience, but they're just on chefing from it. Or do you need to have that experience, you think? I don't think you need to, but it helps. Yeah. <laughs> I needed it. I needed it personally. I needed experience. It, it takes a few things, I think, in order to become confident enough to put food into a, a, the mouth of the masses. You know, it takes either some time and skill and uh, respect from your peers, or it takes arrogance. Where it's just like, oh, this is gonna be great, you know, um, without without actually backing it up. Um, so, I don't know. What, I think that's it. Uh, yeah. No. It's it's most just... most likely, you're you're going through this system where you come in and you're making salads for somebody, and and you're tossing a dressing with lettuce. The dressing's already been made for you. You're just kind of performing the the chore, and it's like maybe it's overdressed, maybe it's underdressed. So so those are variables you can figure out pretty quickly. And then you move on to something a little more difficult, like like making mashed potatoes, which, you know, in a kitchen, you can't just do immediately. You, you can't make good mashed potatoes that, that your chef is going to serve immediately because they're too salty or there's not enough salt or there's too much butter and it's breaking on the line or, you know, Whatever so many is. variables. So the amount, most likely if you're working in a kitchen with people who respect food and what they're, what they're putting in people's mouths is that they're going to tell you you're wrong. So ideally, your 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 mind is going to say, okay, I, I can get better at this, and then you grow, right? I mean, those are salad and mashed potatoes. They're pretty simple yeah. tasks. Two, two, most you're people put them in lane at home. Times. People make salads and they make mashed potatoes. You know, it's not it's not complicated. And your mom probably makes pretty good mashed potatoes. But in a restaurant, you need the variables are changing because you're making mashed potatoes for sixty plates. I don't serve mashed potatoes, but right. Know. Maybe you yes. will this summer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> shrimp scampi and mashed potatoes. Yeah. I was going to ask yeah. about substitution. That's the best shrimp scampi. When, when, so, when someone comes in and is like, can I get this with this and this? Like, hi, as a chef, I, like, I have, I'm self, I understand, like, this isn't, this isn't, you know, Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. You know, people come in and be like, I have a, 
you know, how do you guys handle that when people come in and want all sorts of substitutions? I mean, as I a chef, like all honest, of us are like, basically accommodating to it, but or I know we are here. I'm going to let you guys speak to it yourself, but. I mean, people just don't... The, the frustration isn't that you want to switch it out. The frustration is people don't understand how that complicates... It's a machine back there. You are, mm. at, there's, yeah. It's cogs in a wheel, and each cog is spinning in, in the way it's supposed to spin. And when it comes together, it's awesome. And like, every, like the gears link up, and you're just humming. Mm. But like a couple modifications in there, I mean, it just it can really cause problems, you know? I mean, you just hope that people maybe, you know, find something on the menu that's like is more to their liking or if they have to modify that it becomes more of a simplification than like a overcomplication because they don't know how the machine works back there. Well, that's my point. Is but I at think the same time, a... they're paying guests and most of the time you, you do what you can. You do what you but, can. But I feel like one thing is when people have an allergy or you know, the, there's a, a legitimate reason other than, you know, I just don't like parsley. And then the other <laughs> thing too, I should say, is I hate it when people fake allergies. Yeah, like, don't tell me you have an allergy to mayonnaise. This because happens? There's, there's fakers out there? Oh, I've had curry allergies, <laughs> mayonnaise yeah. allergies. How do you know, though? Because there's only yeah. a couple You can't ones. prove it. There's only a couple real ones. <laughs> You're not going to give it to them and be like, No, I mean, like, just, tell, just tell me you don't like it. But, you know, yeah. like those, those ingredients, for example, have many components to them. So what part of it are you allergic to? Like, yeah. okay, maybe you are allergic to mayonnaise, but is it the oil? What kind of oil? Is it the eggs? Is right. it, you know, because then that stems into a lot more. But don't tell me you're allergic to it if you just don't like it. Just tell me you don't mm -hmm. like it. And yeah. I mean, the curry is a great one because there's thousands of different curries with thousands of different combinations of right. ingredients. None of them may even have a common denominator. You can't just say you're allergic to curry. It's like, you know, it's, I don't know. It's like saying you're allergic to cars. Are you allergic to Buicks? <laughs> like, well, I mean, what are, you know? Just, just Buicks. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just the Buicks. It gives me hives. <laughs> it's terrible. So that, that be clearly a hit of nerve. <laughs> it does. I mean, that's a big well, that, thing. I, yeah, oh, it's, it's and very sometimes important you, to Yeah, and you just want people to, to just out. try it, too. Part of it is just, mm -hmm. you know, like, when I was a kid, I hated Brussels sprouts because every time my mom cooked them, they were overcooked and they were gross and they were sulfury and nasty. And so I always thought I hated Brussels sprouts, but it turns out Brussels sprouts are awesome. Amazing. And they are, they are. Just try it. Sometimes you'll be surprised about something. Yeah, just yeah. because your mom's Brussels sprouts suck doesn't mean that my Brussels sprouts, you know, it's like, yeah. give right. the world. Like, I mean, your you mom throw... didn't roast them in duck fat. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're really good. <laughs> right. Different techniques, taking into account for acquired taste. You know what I mean? I, there's stuff that I didn't like as a kid that I like love now. I can't really think of any of them because I eat like lots of stuff. But you know, I mean, there's it. Your, your taste buds change over time, and for people who just like shut down one thing for life, you know, it's is ridiculous. Like Brussels sprouts. Imagine if my Yumi never ate Brussels sprouts, we'd be missing out on some of the best Brussels sprouts on island because they're <laughs> at straight. <laughs> I mean, right? It's just like I don't know. It's just crazy when people are like eat it one time and it's like. Done. Hate it. <laughs> I was going to ask uh, how important presentation is to you guys. Yeah, you eat with your eyes first, right? I mean. Do you think there's an over-design of food, though? There's a, is there ever too much? Because some of the stuff I, when I see, I'm, I get it, and I, I know it's a work of art. But at the end of the day, it's almost like too much. Is there? Do you guys think that or not? I know a plate that's should tough. look good when it hits the table, right? You yeah, want it to be that's, like, that's all about, I think, yeah, I your think individual aesthetic, you know. I get, I, I find food to be overcomplicated sometimes, and, yeah. and once in a while it's simply because there's there's things on the plate that don't need to be there. They're not adding a, a flavor or necessarily a texture. Um, that's me. 
that's my aesthetic, you know? And um, Subjective. It's completely subjective, I, I think, yeah. And we all work, I mean, all the food, I think the food of the galley and the food of the works beautiful, but we all work in a similar environment where it's a little bit more fast-paced than be able to, like, bust out the tweezer and have eight sets of hands on each plate, which is what yeah. a lot of those beautiful plates are. And, yeah, I mean, we don't I see have some staffing luxury for yeah. that either. And a yeah. lot of times those, those plates come out and, and it's supposed to be a hot dish. And yeah. because eight plates had to touch it and had to go from, you know, uh, one station to another and then the guy put a vegetable on the plate, you know, right. sometimes the food comes out and it's, it's you know, maybe lukewarm if you're lucky. Yeah, and I've had that experience usually yeah. in New York, to be honest with you. Um, out here, I think the the spaces are a little bit more more tight. There's more uh, there's fewer seats in general in restaurants here, I think, than a lot of those big spaces in New York where where they're doing that. But um, you know that can be very disappointing. It's like, oh my god, that is beautiful, and then you put it in your mouth, it's kind of like maybe <laughs> it's not not warm. Yeah, you know? and it should be. So what which sacrifice are you gonna willing to make? You know, what, what's better? I guess that's part of being a good chef or, and understanding. Or, or heat. Uh, it's I don't know. definitely a component, for sure. You, you shot, Scott. Scott. Shots. Shots. That's what we do in shots. We should do, uh, we should do a, uh, another one just to hydrate. It's possible. We have mm. the technology. Um, no, I was going to ask you about uh, New York versus Nantucket, because I thought that was interesting, chefing in the city versus Nantucket. and Intensity, some of your... What do you think? Yeah, you know, I think it was, we talked about it briefly earlier. Um, New York is open seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Nantucket's not. You know, you can't, even in the summer, you can't get food here after when the stubby's close. <laughs> Three, <laughs> so, I think, sometimes. Really? Right? Okay. Yeah, so they're pretty, pretty late. late. But not as late as Sunny and Annie's on the corner yeah. of uh, B and 6, you know. That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a pretty amazing <laughs> godfather sub at five, five, yeah, in the morning. five in the morning. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but um, that's, that's off subject. Um, it's in New York. You have uh, you're open seven days a week. You're open lunch. You're open dinner. Uh, possibly brunch on the weekends. And you have a crew that's coming in. They're working. You're you're trying to hold people to forty hours, forty five hours, not to give it too much overtime. We're open for five months, six months, nine months, depending on who you are in Nantucket. And um, you you need to cater to, to a different cook. The, the employees in the kitchen are, I think, uh, a completely different dynamic. You know. So the limitations are a little more severe here, I think. Yeah, I, I, you know, my whether, impression... Whether it's payroll or, or just the number the of hours. The intensity of just being like a chef on Nantucket is a little... Things are just heightened. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. New York's New York, and like everywhere else, including the, Nantucket, is everywhere else. I mean, New York's is like, I don't know, it's, it's like a whole other ball game. I mean, you got, you know... A, multi-million dollar dining rooms, multi-million dollar kitchens, huge staffs, you know, state-of-the-art this, state-of-the-art that, There's celebrity so investors. so many restaurants, too. Yeah, so many restaurants. Like 60,000? Like, yeah. yeah. Like I mean, it's tough to, it's tough to... Is I that mean, the number, 60,000 or something like that? It's, yeah, it's huge. I, I mean, mind it you, the, is. a lot of them open for three months and then they're under, but... I mean, yeah, last I heard it was like 56 and that was like eight years ago. Yeah, that was crazy. Like fact, yeah. So. And that includes like Little hole in the wall places, of course. Yeah, but and McDonald's. That's a restaurant. <laughs> but I mean, that's a lot in that square footage. I mean, it's crazy. Yep. Yeah, it's just an. In so there's a comp. There's a competitive level, and there's also like you know also a surplus of. of it's also a major industry that like tons of people partake in. So it's like you kind of do have like more of a pool of people to deal to 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 draw from. You know what I mean? And like we were kind of speaking to our conversation earlier, it's like, you know. 
if, if these guys put an ad out or I put an ad out, we'll get like 10, 12 resumes a day right now. Do that in July, you won't get a single one. I mean, yeah. you, yeah. You, gotta, you, get, you get dealt cards in the beginning of the season, and you either play those cards or cash the cards in and play the other cards even harder because, I mean, that's once your staff, once, once the season really starts rolling, I mean, that's it. Whereas New York, you can kind of like, you know, people cycle in and cycle out. Well, yeah, the, yeah, you just have a, a plethora of people that yeah. like people actually choose. live there for the full. Yeah, for and that's life. why I guess I was a little amazed that when the more I went, went thinking about this episode and thinking about like putting my head in the wheel space of what you guys do is 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 pretty crazy because it's uh, the intensity of just you have a short window to deliver the best possible food and what you guys do, you know, it, it's pretty. And amazing. make all the money. And yeah, you keep know, keep the whole thing going. It's like three months to keep the whole thing going the rest mm-hmm. of the time. It's a, you're putting yourself in a pretty high stress threshold, you know. An already high stress job. Are, are you? Are you <laughs> guys are getting? What are we doing? I, mean, I know. Well, that's the thing. So even just getting us, we've been talking. How long have I been talking about doing this, Scott? It was been I think a, since the fall. The fall, like, like maybe, trying maybe to get everyone summer. together. But I really wanted to do it. Make sure we got there before. See, and we're we're right there. You know, how do you guys feel? The season's about to kick off. I'm this guy's psyched. open. Yeah, yeah you're open. Yeah, I'm sorry. I know, I know. Liam's already open. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to be open. I really do not like opening. It's not like, I'm, I love to be open. What about, what don't? It's just, it's, you know, you, a million new questions, a, a different, like, players involved, you know, it's just, it's stressful, you know, and, and you are putting yourself out there. Like, you know, I think we opened with, you know, maybe 15 dishes that we had last year and six new dishes, and those new dishes were, like, the stressful one because it's like, I don't know. It's it's an art project. You Would put it, keep it out you up there. At night? Would you be like? Oh, I definitely kept me up at night. This last three weeks were. were do you guys take notes? Will you, do you have journals and stuff? Will you write little things down? And I do. Yeah. I should. Well, how do you guys? Yeah. <laughs> how do you do it? I'm just wondering. How does it work? Just mental notes, or is it? Mine's. I'm, I'm mental out? note. It's all somewhat in my of... head with like a very brief, like handwritten scroll on the back of like an order guide. <laughs> and then I just go off it and I get lost and then I have to like write it all over again and I don't know I, I'm not the most organized person Scott how do you do it um, I do write on paper and at night when I wake up in the morning I use my phone and do the old notes function because I don't I don't want to turn on the light and find paper and pen I used to do that it's not, I, I prefer it written to be honest with you because you can scribble and what have you I don't, I don't have a phone that you can scribble on so right, I can so write words write it out. Yeah. yeah I have a ton of notebooks and then when I have many ideas that are finalized or whatever, then they'll go actually into my computer, and then those will be reclassified. But other than that, though, it's mostly uh, what I find myself going to are always my notebooks, just random half-cocked ideas of, <laughs> you know, randomness that I'll revisit. Will that come in the middle of the night? How does it come to like just wherever? No, I don't write in the middle of the night. I just let it. I don't know why I keep talking about the night, but sometimes, like, I, I have, I guess, really yeah. for me, because sometimes I'll get an idea, <laughs> it makes sense. True. and I'll hear a riff in my head, and I'll be like, God, remember that for the morning, and I'll, before I go to sleep, I'll be like, remember it for the morning, and I'll wake up, and I'll just, like, fiddle out that little idea, and then hopefully, actually, I use the iPhone, too, if I get an idea, I just wrote a song today about apples for our kids' song, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be like, I, I just recorded, like, a 30 second, but that, that process is super important to me, like, yeah. if I don't do that, it just gets lost to me. I have to, for me, I have to write things down. I have to document it. Because mm. I've had things from five years ago become, like, amazing things later on. But I don't know if cooking's like that. Yeah, totally. There's Could ideas be. that I've revisited Evolution. from, like, old notebooks that would be, like, I don't know, 
I've just been unpacking and undoing some things and stumbled across a notebook and paged through some stuff and was like, oh, yeah, that was actually a good idea. Why the hell did I do that? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. well, that's crazy, too, because I feel like I have written some random notes or whatever and, like, even tried to do that dish, but it didn't really work out. But then, like, years, forgot about it, leafing through an old notebook or something, and you come across it, and it's like it's almost like... Now I'm actually ready to do that. It was a yeah. good idea five years ago, but I didn't maybe have the skills to pull it off. I didn't maybe have the vision to pull it off five years ago, but if you have the ability to revisit. The, I mean, we all a, have that's notebooks. a cool moment. Yeah, yeah. we all yeah. have like, when you recipes get there. and whatnot. Yeah. I don't write nearly as much stuff down as I should, though. Busy. <laughs> I was, uh, what is the best meal you've had in recent years that you can think about? Off the top of your head, give me one of your meals that you've been like, blown away by where was it Jesus. who was it mm-hmm. is that tough i don't know no. I, this the you can tell hey then, dude this is a bad question no, tell me this I'm is not good no. with best and worst about anything like any variable in the world i'm just, I, not, or I'm, I'm just I thinking of something last the, time you ate something that you were here. like wow like because i can give you something i heard and i was like yeah. that's the shit i like what those people are doing i've had a lot of really great meals the last one the last really but, fantastic <laughs> meal that i had um Last fall, a group of us went to San Sebastian, and I finally got to go to Echebarri, which is like in the middle of nowhere in Basque Country. And this guy cooks everything on these amazing wood grills. Like he fashioned these grills according to his specifications. He makes his own charcoal out of like wood from the hills out there, um, and everything's locally sourced. I ate a steak that, I mean, first of all, it was a how many courses? I think it was like a 12-course meal. Super simple, nothing crazy, um, not tweezer-plated. Um, every, like, every ingredient just sang and was so, you know, there was a tomato dish that was just like a tomato from the garden and then mozzarella from the water buffalo that they, that they raised there. Nice. And, I mean, it, it, how played out is mozzarella and tomato, but it was so beautiful You're blown away. and delightful and it had been lightly lightly smoked on one of his grills and it was just beautiful um, but we also ate a steak there that came off of a 14 year old dairy cow <laughs> randomly and it was amazing like I, I don't think any of us have eaten, yeah, I've never eaten that yeah. old definitely um, but anyway that was just a really cool experience but that would be yeah, that, that, like even, that. that even goes back to the primavera Scampy. I mean, this guy's tomato mozzarella, how played out is that? But he's elevating it to such a level through the peak procurement of ingredients and then the, the simplistic, but also not so much on, you know, design. I mean, that, the restaurant she's talking about is legendary. I mean, my, my fiance would also be, that probably is her, one of her top five meals that she's ever had. I mean, this place is amazing. But yeah. I mean, you know. And just like oh. nothing done to the food. Like, it's just so simple and mm-hmm. so cool and... That's yeah. the mark of a true master. Yeah. It's like totally. what it like Da Vinci was like the perfect circle or something was like the the highest form of art like everyone of art. was like the perfectly free drawn circle, you know, mathematically correct is like the perfect thing. I mean, I mean that just I don't know when you can do something so simple or seemingly so simple but like elevated. I mean that's yeah. you know, songs are when I mean people don't think about this when they listen to a song, but you're listening to a recipe. You know, you're listening to all these ingredients. And a menu is even an album sometimes. Exactly. Well, that's <laughs> totally. I know. And as geeky as that sounds, it's probably to some people, I mean, it's totally yeah. true. There's so many different components. There's all these different influences. It's very subjective. 
Yeah. You know? It's very personal. It's super personal. Mm-hmm. And I feel like even in the media, you hear, you hear more interviews with musicians, maybe because of the longevity of how long musicians have been rock stars, basically, that you there's just so much more material. That, like, I find myself like, man, I really, I relate to exactly what that guy's saying. And kind of even going back to the beginning of the conversation, you don't always get that with the food celebrity chef thing. You know what I mean? That's the... You get the clip a lot of the time, you know. You, you get, so much you of get it the, is so stylized too. Yeah, you get the stylized yeah. dish or like the sweet location, you know, Mario Batali on the, you know, on the Amalfi Coast with like the, you know, eight-year-old <laughs> fisherman or whatever. But like sometimes in the in the music world, you get those interviews where they get down to it, and those are the ones where I'm like, yeah, I mean, at least the I can nuts relate. and bolts, the bullshit relate, of yeah, having like a, creative a heroin addict uh, dishwasher who pull, you know, that those kind of stories. <laughs> right. Have yeah. you guys ever had a fight in the kitchen? In the kitchen? Because kitchens are pretty volatile. Volatile. I mean, probably. The bourbon. I don't know. I don't know. Has he, come on. I've seen a fight in a kitchen. Yeah, I've, I've had fights. I mean, uh, what's, like, punching match? Like, where you're going I'm just head, saying, head, like, like, where, like, things got pretty oh, heated. Had, oh, I, I've God. dragged No, I mean, I've had a chef that before. definitely got really angry, but yeah. not Did he flip me. out on you? Not on me. On another cook. Flipped a saute pan clear across, a hot saute pan clear across the kitchen. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah, he, not good. Did Not you good. reprimand him? Did I reprimand yeah. the chef? No, I mean he was my boss. You just put your <laughs> you put your head down. You yeah, you're there not. There is that sort I, I of like that. that's that's like you guys ever had a moment training. like that? Yeah, where you're old, so you messed old up. school oh, yeah. French training where he was like, fucking fuck yeah, like it was just it was nasty. Yeah. It was it made me. Well, there was a I transformation like of that. that old school chef I was talking about, Lynn, the guy at What's Your Beef, who was like yep. the ex-con who got a job cooking. You know, like chefs. Yeah really went from a, through a transformation. Yeah. But those crusty fuckers are still out there, too. <laughs> They're fading away, though. I, <laughs> they f- are. I feel like the, the breed's slowly dying, which I think is good. Yeah. Is it? Absolutely. I don't know. I, I think there's, to I me, think there's... it's good. I don't know that it's good. I think it's good. <laughs> yeah, you want... Like, because, because... I think it's, it's good. I think it's good. However, how many... Um, I've lost my... I mean, I've lost my shit on people, but, like... Well deserved. You don't throw and hot oil at somebody like, yeah, for, right. for messing up a. Yeah, no, we're not hurting shit. people anymore. Yeah, right. that's never okay. But but the ego has changed. I think collectively in a kitchen, especially for like young younger cooks nowadays, which probably didn't exist 20 years ago when people were getting pans thrown at them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying I think it's good that they're going well, away, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean the whole. Part of the problem is, for, for instance, legalities. you've got the culinary schools telling people that they're going to be chefs when they graduate. You've right. got that whole culture. So people are coming. And then also, I don't know, what are we calling them now? Millennials? Millennials. What, yeah, right? So they're, they're the generation that's been told that you can do anything. You, I mean, I think we were all told we can do anything, but like we actually had to my work. My parents actually meant it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, these kids are super entitled. I'm, I'm obviously broad generalist. No, you're not broad generalizing because it's true. <laughs> I've seen it firsthand, and Nantucket is a great example of it. These people yeah. come out here, little Jimmy wants a job. I worked down at the ice cream shop, and this is a great example of what you're talking about. <laughs> I ran, I, I helped out the ice cream shop. You know the one's not there. I think it's a pizza place now, but I was the best manager that place ever had. But this guy, like, the parent, when I was a kid and you wanted a job, you walked in. This parent came in, and this is an example of what we're talking about, those kind of, the, the generational gap and said, you know, my daughter's going to be here for three weeks in, in uh, July, and then she'll be gone for a week for horse camp. She's coming back, but she'd like a job. And, and she, yeah. you know, like, it's like, lady, you know, like, first off, how old's your kid? She's like, she's 18. 
So shouldn't yeah. she be doing the interview, first of all? Like, shouldn't Case. she be? Yeah. That was just my example, and that's a true story. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Well, it's crazy, I think, for in, in our generation in the kitchen, too. It's just like we kind of uh, maybe caught the tail end of, of the badass guy that you were almost, like, afraid that this, this chef might actually hurt me, you know? <laughs> And, and and now like we're in the middle where I think like all of us agree that's like okay we've probably all flown off the handle but we you know I think it's important in in our generation because we're all similar ages that it's like you know you're providing a safe work environment I mean people might be a little afraid from time to time but not for their safety you know what I mean but like back in the day you could actually be afraid that the guy was gonna like twist you up and well, restaurants way. are intense places to work and now it's like you get this new generation in and they're like wow you're like really hard on me and you're just like dude you have no idea man I'm like I'm like uh, they I'm did. like the Easter bunny <laughs> like, like is there a chef that you can think of that was like you're like wow that do any of you guys have a chef that you're like wow that person is scary yes. yeah oh, yeah, yeah. I, totally. I hope so where was it yeah where was uh, yours Scott who was in it in my first chef in central Pennsylvania name you're not kidding. His name is Eric. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. His name, sorry, names. sorry. His name is Chef. <laughs> yeah, his name was Chef. His name is yeah. Chef. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I've, he threw pans. You know, he'd, he'd get heated. It was a family business. He worked with his wife. She did the front of the house and pastries, and he was he was working in the kitchen, busting his ass, and uh, you know it was hotter in there. Sometimes you just gotta throw a pan at somebody. <laughs> Usually a dishwasher, unfortunately. <laughs> Someone who was innocent. Uh, have you guys all been? I've been. You've been a dishwasher. Has everyone dishwashed here? I've never been officially been a dishwasher, but I am a dishwasher. You have to. I'm still a dishwasher. Bourdain, yeah. Bourdain says you're, you're the most the important dishwasher. Job I am a dishwasher, no, and actually, I think I'm yeah. a pretty badass dishwasher. You, you should be I'm the very best good. dishwasher yeah. in the restaurant. I think. I, yeah. I know I am. Yeah. I'll, I'll smell. And that's the actually one of the times that I lose it the most on my cooks is when they don't respect the dishwashers and they yeah. treat that side. Mm-hmm. Like shit, then that's usually the time when I. What's that? It's poor form. Yeah, it is. Yeah, unfortunately, it's just. Some some would say the the most important person in the whole restaurant. Anthony Bourdain you know, like, was saying that. Like, you can't always, you can't get by without him. The dishwasher yeah. walks out. Your your night is going to be really difficult. You know, one <laughs> line cook walks out. Yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be rough. And it's but. tough. It's thankless. It's hard. It's yeah. hot. You, you get I mean, paid least. You know, it's the, a cra- it's the a nasty. Put out good hopefully good food and you know sometimes get their brain picked a little bit for inspiration i mean you know i think we all rely on our teams a little bit to go from take that dish from 80 to 100 percent. it doesn't always happen inspiration at night it happens from the line cook where you're like chef why don't you like remember those pickled things that we did we should put that on there and do you guys all have the same line cooks coming back no no some not i see that's crazy right yeah i think we're i got one of the same guys it's tough tough to have all of them every year. I think yeah. to get 100% of your staff back on the line, it's, it's really, does that ever happen? I don't know. I don't know anybody. Only that. one year for me. Oh, really? That's, that's good. Uh, like 80%, yeah. 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 It was crazy. 80. Yeah. I've, that I've was, done 80, but not, that was the biggest never 100. I've ever had. Yeah. But. I mean, lot. Nantucket's just, it's, it's a lot like easier that. to open. I mean, they leave with that. the money. They leave with, hopefully, they leave with like some savings, you know, and they're either going to, take it to the next city and get set up or they're going to travel. The best ones travel because then they come back broke and they need you. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, I need, I, I need my True. job back. I don't <laughs> have any money. To, to yeah. It's a great idea. Get them to travel, man. Yeah. Get them to travel. Yeah, get out there. See the world, kid. <laughs> don't go work anywhere else. No, it's great. It's great when they work other places. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we have great cooks, especially the ones that keep coming back because a lot of them, they go off and they see other things and yeah. they come back mm-hmm. and they can really help to contribute to the team. I mean, 
I mean, I just, I try to pick everyone's brain. And, and, and sometimes, you know, when I'm super doing that executive stuff that nobody likes to do, that paperwork stuff, it's like, oh, that's right, I ordered halibut this week. And I'll be like, Luciano, hook me up. I got halibut. You want to do something with it? He's like, I can do so something with it. So you'll take you'll take ideas from other people. All I'll the take whole like, dishes from. Yeah. I mean, not take whole dishes, but I'll be mm -hmm. like, it's you, and then try to give as much credit where credit's due. I mean, you can't yeah. like, you that's know, that's cool. That's yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah, it's very important. Do you for, do that a lot too, Scott? I do it as much as I can. Yeah, I, I encourage it. And learn Absolutely. from those guys. It makes people. You learn something. Grow. New sauce, new technique, whatever. Mm -hmm. You do too. It. Yeah. Amy, you do it. Oh, absolutely. It's imperative to do it. I think. Yeah. I think you get you can get stuck in your own little world too. You know, you're kind of spinning wheels, going into nowhere, and if just a little fresh insight from someone that you trust. That's you know, you may not, mm. and you may not even take their whole idea or anything along those lines, but it it, it helps. It's it's great. And it's great for them because they're it's coming so in good for them. With, with a desire. They're like, ooh, I have the ability to grow here, you know, as, as opposed to just like, this is what I need you to do and, you know, staying stagnant. And plus, it's remember not, when you were a cook and you were working for a chef and you're like, I think that, you know, just to yeah. have that. And they're that. like, shut up and cook my food. <laughs> yeah. On mainland, is it, a, is it a, sh a feather in your cap if you've chefed on Nantucket? Like, if you go to some place in Vermont and you're like, well, I did a season in Nantucket, is it like, oh, okay, that's cool? Or is it like, uh... Vermont, it probably is. I, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to, like, <laughs> is, is, is it, a, a like, for a chef, is it advantageous for him to, like, have some Nantucket experience? Is it like having a New York experience or San Francisco or Austin or... I don't think a lot of people know, or I don't think people know where Nantucket is, so yeah. I, I... Agreed, yeah. I, I think, think Boston, yes. Yeah. A lot of people get it and, I mean, yeah. some places yeah. just like the fact that you're a chef and they're like, they want to do something nice for you, but... Yeah, or, or respect what you're that you're in the restaurant, but yeah, like, and I think it's a small place that a lot of people don't recognize. I think in right? Boston it definitely is recognized. Yeah, so it's we've definitely good fed quite a people, you know, quite yeah. a few people. In I think community. that's a relatively new thing because of people like both of you. You know, I think 10, 12 years ago we were kind of just looked at as like this seasonal place where everyone just kind of like, you know, turned and burned. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In the summer, and now I think like. You know, because then I think the like you, you got people from Boston, you got people from New York, and those were the guys, the, those were the guys that didn't hack it. Those were the guys that weren't used to prepping their whole station, executing their whole station, cleaning up their whole station. And now I feel like twelve years later, now we're getting, we're starting to get more of the cred that we deserve because it, it's super hard. And like I think we were, maybe it was me and you before we started, or maybe me and you, talking about how I mean these are the cooks that are that we. That not necessarily the, the cooks that have come through Nantucket, not necessarily me or you or whatever, but have come through Nantucket for three or four years now. Those guys are badass. I mean, they're they're prep machines, they're line cooking machines, mm -hmm. you know, they're six days a week machines. They're working hard. They're keeping up with it. You know, they're keeping their their social life in check and still able to do the job and everything else. I mean, they're they're worth their weight in gold. And I think that that's just starting to get recognized. Whereas I feel that when I first started out here, I mean, I had a few respectable chefs in Boston being like, you got to get out of the Nantucket thing. You got to get out of the seasonal thing. I mean, they were like, that's just, you know, they, they were like, you know. But I think there's a shift going on. I, th I do. That's I what I'm saying. I think that the, the restaurant level, the, the palates of the people coming here, like Nantucket has great food. And it's such yeah. a great opportunity for a chef. There's so many amazing things yeah. to pull from, which we didn't even talk about, like just the, re the what's grown out here, you know, and being influenced by that. There's no reason I can't, like Nantucket is a culinary destination for people. If you're yeah. a foodie, I think it'd be cool. Like not summertime, obviously, but shoulder seasons, come out to Nantucket for a weekend. 
There's so many amazing restaurants. Yeah. And the level just keeps getting better. Yeah. Yep. You know, it, which is cool. And there's so many people pushing, being progressive with food out here. And that, you know, just the way music does, just the way art does, food progresses culture. It's totally Seattle in the 1990s right now, bro. <laughs> yeah, we need more guys. We, we need more guys in, in, in <laughs> more guys in ski hats and uh, you know a couple of tattoos, and it's like Williamsburg. And uh, yeah, but listen, you know, you, I do think though that you, you know through food and that pushing the envelope, creating interesting dishes. And I was going to talk about the the people coming out here, the expectations. You have a big New York crowd. You have a big Boston crowd. You have San Francisco people. You have people from all over the world yeah. coming yeah. out here. So that kind of, how do you guys cater to that palette? Is that something you think about or no? Just that the people are coming from all these different places. You guys kind of have to raise the bar, right? I, I mean, I think that we're probably our own harshest critics, right? I yeah. mean, I essentially cook food that I would want to eat. I agree. So it starts from there. Um, I think that you have to be true to that first and foremost, because once you start kind of, I don't know, I, I wouldn't even begin to know how to. I think you gotta be true to yourself, and the benefit of what you're talking about is that we're a little bit more and more able to get outside of the box, whereas Sea Urchin wouldn't have really flown out here 10 years ago. Now you can you can do it, and you don't know, you're not just giving it to your chef friends that are coming to the restaurant, people are yeah. actually buying it. Yeah, actually, like that's a, yeah, like a few years that's ago, changed. for instance, you know, I put cool. octopus on the menu and had told my sous chef at the time, like, it's totally, it's not going to sell. Like, our friends will order it, there'll be a few foodie people that'll order it, but, like, it's totally going to be one of those that they'll be, like, an easy pick and we'll maybe sell, like, 10 orders a night. It sold out every single night, and I was selling, ordering 40 pounds of octopus every other day. Like, it was insane, and it's cool to see that we can do that, it, you know, that people are willing to try some, not to say that that's super weird, but. No, no, I, mean, I think you're right. 10, 12 right. years ago, I wouldn't have flown at all. I mean, in my opinion, I don't think. Yeah. You, know, you could have gotten away with it. And that's influence. Like, who are some of the guys that influence you? I mean, people I've worked for, Ken Oranger in Boston. I mean, I've worked for him for a couple winters. I mean, he's certainly an influence. I mean, it's just, it kind of sounds stupid, but like. Instagram has been incredibly valuable. Like, I've never worked for some of the people I follow on Instagram, but now I get to see them. So who do you follow? Like, I want to hear some of the guys. Do you guys all follow different chefs on Instagram? Oh, yeah, lots. I'm sure. Yeah. Let's hear. Who do you follow, Scott? Uh, kind of, I think just friends. Uh, friends? I'm not really a... I don't yeah, get you're not, yeah, I know. Scott's not super. on social. <laughs> He's still got a flip phone. I'm not, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... Have, Damn it. <laughs> no, I'm Instagram. I, I don't know. Maybe I should delve more. I, it's just not no, the world that I'm just busting balls. I, think it's I mean, I got on Instagram probably two years ago and was like, I got on Facebook like three years ago. I was like totally behind the behind the ball on all of it. But now Instagram, it's like I don't know. You're just like you, you get that downtime and you're scrolling through Instagram and you Food follow porn, a man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Jonathan Waxman. Who's yeah. Jonathan Waxman? He I don't know who that is. Restaurant Barbudo in in, in uh, New York and owns a few others, but he's like he's like this dude that's been banging it out for years. He's probably like fifty five, and he's I feel like he's just now getting the recognition that he really deserves. His food's super simple, and like whoever's in charge of his Instagram account, because it's certainly not him, is doing a great job. The photos are beautiful. See, and Scott, like, people can take care of that for you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah. just like it, it, I totally. mean, he keeps me in check. It reminds me how like simple food, how how far it goes. I mean, none of its stuff is crazy. You know, but I mean, we were in Hong Kong, and I follow a couple names I can't pronounce because they're in Chinese, and 
now, like, because I was over there, I was like, oh, I'm going to follow this person. You know, you get the whole, like, sort of proximity thing, and that's awesome, too. I mean, it's just, it's a cool, it's a constant stream of, like, inspiration, whereas I don't always have time to, like, buy a new cookbook, let alone read it. Now I've got the phone, and I'm like, oh, that's uh, Interesting, awesome. it's just, it's, yeah. Yeah. You don't have time to sit down. And, and I've always been visuals, because it's great when you see a dish you like, and you're like, I'm going to replicate that dish or do something very much similar to it, but it's like, you don't know the recipe. You don't know, you just know what it looks like. Mm. So then when you put it on the plate yourself, you really, you didn't really rip it off. You just like, I just it made just looks it nice. look the uh, way that I think Are you looking at something? tastes. Do you look at something, you're like, oh, is that fennel in there? Because like, if I listen to a song, I might listen and be like, what is that one instrument that's really in the yeah. back there? That's <laughs> like, you know, you're like, oh, what is that? Is that like a, that's like a weird sort of like, compressed hi-hat that's like doubled or something I don't know but do yeah. you look at that and be like what totally. is he making totally I mean so you see weird. a picture and you're like I kind of I want to make that I don't know what it is I can it, well it's clearly chicken or fish or whatever but like can you, you know. send me the the people you the chefs you follow on Instagram you can actually go <laughs> right to my and up to the look tags. at them all it's oh, true yeah. you know, but we should say that there's something to be I'm said in. to not be <laughs> I think that there's I have friends in like in different uh, mediums filmmakers and musician friends that don't know anything about what's going on in the ethos of just that world that and sometimes that are brilliant and that works in your favor right totally that you're just so off they're so they're just like i don't, I don't yeah. have time to do that you know well sometimes it's social media is so curated too that like i look uh, at it and i'm like oh my god all my food looks like crap meanwhile they have like a whole team of people like doing their freeze for their forty thousand followers yeah, you, you know, think david chang's instagramming no i yeah david yeah but, but someone does it for him, though. <laughs> of course. He's not sitting there. Well, maybe he does. Every once in a while, I think he throws his own thing in there when he's like at some restaurant or whatever. Yeah. Well, anyway, listen, guys, I think that's it. We've done a great job. We've been talking for a long time. I want to thank you guys all. Scott Osip from The Galley, Mayumi Hattori from Straight Wharf, and Liam Mackey from Nautilus, our host tonight. Uh, this has been Chef Talk. I feel like I should wrap this up like Charlie Rose. <laughs> this, has been, this has been Chef Talk. Wait, listen, we've been drinking great bourbon. I think we should do it again, though. I think uh, after this, we should do a post-season yeah. chat. And we'll invite other chefs to come in and have a round table. We'll have a bunch of scars on our faces. That totally. <laughs> One of us couldn't make it. We should do it. We'll, have, we'll invite more chefs. I think it'd be great, though. Yeah. But thank There's you guys for doing out uh, the podcast. I appreciate it. Cheers. 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 Glad it's been fun. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. All righty. Wow. There it is, folks. Episode 33. Did you guys enjoy that? Man, I, I sure did. What a, what a cool interesting opportunity to sit down and listen to some chefs talk shop man hence the name chef shop we're we, I, we should do that again maybe uh you know i'm lucky i caught these guys uh before the season kicks off because you know this weekend's kind of the, the start of all the madness so the fact that they were able to uh sit down and give me uh, an hour of time to sit down and talk shop was very cool so thank you guys so much and make sure if you go into those restaurants that you order the shrimp scampi I want to see that on the menu. <laughs> oh, man. That's it, though, folks. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed it because I really did. Uh, episode 33 is in the books, and uh, we're going to do more like that. I, I, I think it's just interesting to hear people talk about uh, their their field of expertise in a group dynamic like that, which uh, those guys don't often, often get to do, you know? They're slaving it out through all the summer 
sweating, sending those plates out, 86 and stuff, and firing tickets. So I uh, I think it was cool uh, to to hear them talk uh, kind of candidly about the business, especially cooking out here on Nantucket. It ain't easy, folks, but no job is, even podcasting. That being said, folks, that's it. Episode 33 in the books, folks. If you're new to the podcast, thanks for the click. If you've been listening all along, thanks for the click. Either way, guys, we're doing this together. I couldn't do it without you, so thank you so much. We'll see you on the next episode, guys. Get out there and cook something good.
Everybody, they wanna go home now. Rick Shaw. 